Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I want to talk uh, with you and just kind of give you a little bit of a, a, a forward-looking shot at what we're going to be headed into over the next few weeks. Uh, because I think under this banner we've called The Church and Grace and just the whole series of sermons that we're going through this year. Uh, I, I think some of these are, are perhaps some of the most important sermons for us uh, because of being a people uh, uh, that are the church. We're not just a part of the church. We're not just in the church. We are the church. And so when we begin to, to realize that and walk in that and begin to understand the purpose of the church, I'll tell you, it begins uh, to be absolutely life-changing. Um, and, and my prayer is that these messages will impact all of us in a, in a fresh way. Uh, because we all have certain sense of what it is that God has said for us. Uh, many of us have served the Lord now uh, for years, but that, that opportunity to be refreshed in Christ and what he's called us to uh, is just essential. And, and I think over the next few weeks, that's my prayer. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, kind of the beginning of a two-part series. First of all, we're called into fellowship with Christ and one another. We are the church. We've looked at the gospels, and now we're looking at the church. This is something new. This is a, a new entity. This was something that uh, the the Old Testament prophets did not foresee. And when we talk about the church and and we talk about all of its detail, which we're going to look at, the first thing we want to look at is what is our primary focus? And I would suggest as the body of believers, our primary focus is the Lord himself. It is not the work. It is not the work. It is the Lord. And when we begin to walk with the Lord then God begins to transform us so that through us, we begin to walk in the works that he's prepared for us before the foundation of the earth. So today, we're going to look at our first love, which is Christ. Next week, we're going to look at the church community. We're part of a community. When we're called into Christ, we're called into the body of Christ. We're called into community with one another. We're called to love one another. And that's essential. (laughs) That's not uh, secondary. That is primary. So the Lord comes first, and then God begins to do a work in us, uh, and then through us, and we begin to see how God begins to orchestrate the body of Christ to love one another in a way that becomes a testimony to the world. Then we're going to look at the conduct and character of God's church, of God's people, God's transforming work, the grace that God has for us, not just to bring us to the point of of being saved, but also now in the midst of our walk with him to transform us. We're going to look at our mission, which is to make disciples. To make disciples. To walk with the Lord and what he's already doing, what he already wants to accomplish, what he's commanded each and every believer to be a part of, which is not to go, but is as you're going to make disciples. We're going to look at shepherding, the leadership of the church. What does it mean to be a shepherd? What is the structure that God has put together for the body of Christ? It was interesting. Uh, last week, I started asking questions about, well, what, what, what church uh, denomination have you come from? What church denomination have you come from? We've got all kinds of different denominations, all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of philosophy of church polity in this uh, congregation right here. And the truth of the matter is, what does God's word say about leadership? And what does God's word say about shepherding and elders and pastors and deacons and teachers and all the rest? We we need to be reminded, I think, of what does God's word say about this and how do we follow him in it? This isn't our plan. It's God's plan. 
And I think we need to submit to that, obviously. Well, then we're going to look at the message of the church, which is the gospel of grace, first and foremost, for the unbeliever. Right? What, what is the message of the gospel of grace to the unbeliever? And then secondly, what's the message of the gospel of grace for believers? I think we need to be reminded of that. Because it is not, the gospel is not simply for the lost. In fact, uh, the, the, as many times as it's mentioned in the New Testament, uh, most of the time that the gospel is uh, written about is for believers. For believers. Well, how does that work? What does that look like? We're going to look at the weapons of the church. The we- Do you realize we got weapons? <laughs> the word of God and prayer and prayer. Folks, when we talk about being engaged in spiritual warfare, what we're talking about is getting into the word of God and then through the word of God as the Holy Spirit uses the word of God within us to begin to pray, pray the way that he is leading us to pray. And then we begin to engage in the spiritual war that is all around us. Amen? So how do we do that? What are are the weapons of the church? And then lastly, as we close up this series in terms of the church and grace, what are the threats? What are the threats to the church? Wolves, false teachers, disunity, the war of relationships. We see this in every church. (laughs) Anybody been at a church where there's never been a problem? Huh? Of course not. How do we deal with that? How do we preserve the unity that we've already got? What kind of threat is it when we're not preserving the unity that we already have? When we take up our banner instead of laying it down? Listen, those are important issues. And I think as we look at the epistles and why the epistles are written, uh, we're going to look at the broad spectrum of the message of obviously uh, primarily Paul but the others as well, James and Peter, uh, in terms of the church. And what is the message that they have for the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit? So this morning, called into fellowship with Christ and with one another, our first love is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little bit of uh, review as we kind of walk into uh, the church, age, church time period, if you want to put it that way. We've gone through the Gospels and looked at that. We've looked at the Old Testament as well. Uh, Clearly, there's a transition in the Bible now in terms of the focus of how God is dealing with humanity with regard to history, right? All through human history, salvation has always been by grace through faith in Christ. There's no question about it. In the Old Testament, it was a looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. There was all the sacrificial system. There was all the detail of the temple. Everything pointed to Christ. And those individuals would look forward to the coming of the Messiah. I would suggest, and you can see this in Jonah, you can see this in different aspects, Israel was to be a light to the entire world of the reality of who God truly is. And so the Gentiles, even, though they had not been given the very oracles of God, as Romans speaks of, though they had not been given all the detail that the Jewish people had, they recognized that there was something unique about the Jewish people. Monotheism came on the scene, something never before seen. Everybody else was polytheistic. When you begin to realize that Israel was to be a lamp to the world of the presence of God on this earth, that's an amazing truth. Everybody was to look forward to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ. 
And we get to the Gospels where we see the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he was no ordinary man. He's the unique God-man. And as he walks, you can see that in all the different ways, all the different aspects of his life. You can see that in the way he treated people. You can see that in his miracles. You can see that, obviously, in the way that he went to the cross, the way that he died. You can see it clearly in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we walk through all these things, we see that God is at work. We see that God is working in human history in order at the right time for Christ to be born and then for the fullness of all that God had prophesied to be fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and for salvation to be provided for all of humanity through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about the church, we talk about a new entity something that was not foreseen. It's been brought to light. The church, ecclesia, literally means the called out ones. Called out from what? Called out from the world. Called out from sin. Called into the body of Christ, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. Israel as a nation had rejected their Messiah. And we see this in the Gospels. We see the preaching of John the Baptist and the Lord for them to repent. And now the story shifts predominantly to the Gentiles. And there's clearly a transition period. The apostles had that period of time where they transitioned from the old covenant into the new covenant. There's a period of time in Acts that we see this very clearly. When you look at the Lord's teaching in the Gospels, particularly the Synoptic Gospels, you see that most of his teaching is directed towards the Jewish people, his covenanted people. And as a result, much of what he says to the Jewish people who are under the covenant and or who are looking forward to the kingdom to come. There's this gap in between. The Lord focuses in on repentance and for the people of God who are covenant with him to return to him as well as looking forward to the kingdom that is to come. But primarily, he does not deal until later in the Synoptic Gospels and certainly in the Gospel of John with the church. It's fascinating to watch this. What happens in between this covenant moment where the Lord, their Messiah, has come and as a nation, not all the individuals, but as a nation, they have rejected their Messiah versus the kingdom, the messianic reign, the thousand years, which we're going to get into in, a, in probably, what, two months from now, something like that? The end times. What's in between is the church age, something not seen, not looked for. It's amazing. <laughs> Paul speaks of it in just wonder at God's wisdom through the ages to bring about his purpose and his plan. Paul and the other apostles, specifically Paul, as you watch his travels, we, we took some time, right? I think two years to walk through the book of Acts. And you, you look at all the different things that he went through. What did he do? He took the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. It's not that all the Jews weren't saved. Some of them clearly were. Some of them, even from the synagogues, the leaders, turned to Christ and were saved. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognized that the Old Testament prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of it, they were saved. They understood the validity of Paul's message and they understood the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them rejected it. Many of them persecuted Paul from city to city to city. 
So Paul would turn to the Gentiles, and many Gentiles came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and many churches were planted throughout all the regions. And Paul does several missionary journeys in order to help establish them, help strengthen them. He tells Titus, go appoint elders in every city. He makes sure that there is leadership that is in place under the inspiration and the authority of the Holy Spirit, certainly the apostles, to make sure that these churches could grow and flourish, not only in their conduct, not only in their own personal lives, but also in following God with the work that he had for them to spread the gospel, to give an account for the hope that they had within them as they lived godly lives in Christ Jesus by his grace. The church is founded. When did that take place? I would suggest it comes place very clearly. It takes place at Pentecost in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. And so the believers in Christ Jesus, they were first called Christians in Antioch, begin to spread throughout the known world. And this happened in different ways. It happened in several ways. First of all, the Jews who were saved at Pentecost go home and begin to share the message of Christ. Do you remember how many Jews were coming to the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon those believers in the upper room? And God used those believers in order to immediately begin to declare the gospel message to all these Jews from all over the known world. Well, some of them obviously got saved and went home, and they began to declare the gospel into their communities, into their families. Then we begin to see persecution hit. Stephen's martyred. Paul begins to attack believers known as Saul, right? He's watching Stephen be killed, and he believes that Christianity is a threat, and so he begins to go and drag Women and children and men who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes sure that they're killed. He even he calls himself a murderer later on as he gives testimony to what God had done in his life. And Paul has a glorious salvation, the road to Damascus, as he's going there in order to arrest people. He had been given letters in order to do that very thing, and the Lord, the Lord meets him on the road, right? It's such a beautiful picture. And immediately Paul recognizes Something's not right here. The things that I've been a part of are not exactly what God would have me to be a part of. This Lord who I've been persecuting is now risen before me, and he sees him, and he hears him, and he has his eyes blinded, and he has to go into the city, and we know that story well. The persecution settles down, and Paul, with Barnabas' help, begins to grow in Christ. He's taught by the Lord, and he becomes a tremendous tool in the hands of the Lord in order to proclaim the gospel. The church is solidified. The church is taught. The church is strengthened. The church is matured. It is protected from legalism. And missionary journeys begin. What an amazing transition from the Old Testament into the Gospels, the coming of Christ, into the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord, to the time period after the resurrection of the Lord when the Lord begins to appear to people in order to let them know that he really truly is the Lord. And then we see the apostles, we see the prophets, we begin to see the church take shape, to begin to form and to begin to have an impact on the entire known world. Every believer's highest priority, folks, hear me on this. Every believer's highest priority is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater calling than that. 
We can talk about all the commands and we can talk about all the things that we're supposed to do. We can talk about all the different ways that we're supposed to be active. But if we leave our first love, then what's all the activity about? Why are we doing what we're doing? Where's the divine spark? Where's the divine power? Where is the divine leading and the wisdom necessary in order to follow God in the work that he has for us? Every believer's highest priority is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you three things this morning about every believer. Every believer's position. We're called into the Christ's body, the church. We have a positional relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by grace. It's not because we earned it. It's not because we deserve it. And we certainly can't pay God back for it. What is ours already? Clearly, what are our privileges as a result of our position? What is it that God does for us now that we're children of God? We've come to know Christ. We're walking with him in the midst of being his children. What are the privileges that are ours to enjoy? And what's our priority? What's our priority? And friend, we ought never get our priorities mixed up. We need to make sure about the cart and the horse, right? We better make sure the Lord Jesus Christ is going ahead, that he is first. Because if that gets mixed up, whoa, are we mixed up. Amen? So position, we're called into Christ's body, the church. First of all, what is the church? <laughs> you know, Vince Lombardi, and I know it's football season, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was waiting for it, Chad. Come on now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I don't think Jonathan and I are going to repeat our performance last year about the Cowboys. I just, oh, oh, man. Sorry to let you down, brother. Sorry to let you down. That was the most disappointing, unbelievable season I've ever endured in my life. It was horrific. It was just fan suicide watch. You know what I'm saying? It's horrible. God bless. Let's get back on track. Thank God for hope in Christ, right? Because <laughs> if, we, if we put hope in anything else, we are really to be pitied. But it is... Football season. Vince Lombardi held up a football one time. I guess the Packers had played so poorly. He said, this is a football. Right? And sometimes I think we got to get back to the, to the basics and say, what is the church? Is it a building? <laughs> no, heaven's sakes. I think one of the greatest disservices that we've done in Christianity, and you think about this with me, is to name the building the church. Think about that. We're going to church. We are in church. This is a sanctuary. No, it's not. We're the sanctuary. We're the church. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's a people. And how do we make sure that we walk in light of that, with that understanding, with that knowledge, with that recognition? What is the church? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and following, Paul puts it this way. He says, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And then he defines it, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What's the church? It's the body of Christ. Do you realize that we're a part of the body of Christ and that Christ fills us? That's incredible. 
Think about that. Listen, we're here together. We're gathered as the body of Christ. When we leave in a little bit, we are the church in the midst of this world. We don't leave the church. We are the church. And we walk as the church. How are we walking? How are we serving the Lord? We are the temple of God. God indwells within us. How is God being manifested through us? How is God being seen through us? It's so easy to come on Sunday morning. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm thanks. Great. Everything's good. Everything's good in my life. No problems at all. And then we leave, and the picture looks very, very different, doesn't it? How are we walking day by day, understanding that we are the body of Christ, that we are the church. The church is the body of Christ on earth. Who's the leader of the church? Folks, please get this right. Colossians 1.18 says, he is also head of the body, the church. <laughs> it's pretty clear, isn't it? Who's the head of the body? The Lord Jesus Christ, period. That's it. I was talking to Jonathan about this the other day, and it was so funny because we were talking about sheep. And guess what? We're all sheep. I'm a sheep too. And sometimes sheep make messes. And I got to tell you, sometimes sheep kick, and sometimes they bite, and sometimes they go in directions that you're wondering, what in the world are they thinking? Then you realize they're a sheep, and they're not thinking, right? And I said, Jonathan, I'm a sheep too. I just got a bell around my neck. And I'm supposed to follow the Lord, and our elders are supposed to follow the Lord, and the pastors are supposed to follow the Lord, and leaders are supposed to follow the Lord. And when we follow the Lord, that bell begins to go off, and the sheep are supposed to then follow. Not me, the Lord. That's the issue. The Lord is the head of the body. And friends, when we get that one mixed up, we're really in a bad place. Do we trust the Lord to lead? Do we trust the Lord to correct Do we trust the Lord to admonish, to give wisdom, to guide? Because I want to tell you something. You put your eyes on me. You put your eyes on our elders. You put your eyes on your pastors. You put your eyes on leaders. You're going to be in a bad place. Because there will be times where we will fail you. And when elders trip and stumble, what's supposed to be true and consistent in our lives? We are quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to make it right. We are not perfect, folks. And this personality and performance world that we live in, such a mess. Such a mess. It is in Christ and in him alone. Who's the leader of the church? That's pretty obvious. It doesn't take too much reading to figure that one out. It is the Lord. Why the church? What does the Lord want to do in and through the church? Well, first of all, the church reveals the world's need of a loving Savior. The church reveals the world's need of a loving Savior. Now, follow this with me. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. He says, I don't ask. He's praying for believers. He's praying for the disciples. He says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, meaning the disciples that are right there with them, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Who's that? It's all of us. It's all believers everywhere. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now listen to this, that they also may be in us, so that, what's the purpose? The world may believe that you sent 
me. Wow. Why the church? Because the world gets to watch us and recognize that the message of the gospel of God's grace through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is true. That's why. Think about that. How we are being transformed and how we're walking with the Lord and how we're yielding to him, how we forgive one another, how we embrace one another, how we love one another is a transformative work of God in our lives that is then seen through our lives and begins to be a picture to the world that Jesus Christ is true, that his message is necessary for every person on this planet. Think about that. The second main reason for the church is that the church supports God's truth to the world Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15. He says this, I'm writing these things. Paul's writing to Timothy. To you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And then he clarifies, what is, what is the household of God? Which is the church of the living God. And then he defines what the church is. The pillar and support of Of what? The truth. Wow. That wiped me out yesterday. Wiped me out. I don't know. I know I've read it. But the word of God is living and active. And there are times when you read something, the Holy Spirit just absolutely puts it into you like you never had it before. Amen? And I read that one, folks. I want you to chew on that. I want you to think about that. I want you to just reflect on that. Because the truth of the matter is the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. Not just any truth, the truth. The truth of God, the truth of the gospel, the truth about sin, the truth about how to walk, the conduct. All the different aspects of what we've been called into as the body of Christ, how the Lord himself comes to live within us and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin to walk with him in the righteous works that he has for us. Everything that we do and everything that we say We are the pillar and support of the truth. Now think about that. How many different application points come out of that? The world looks at our families. We are to be a picture in our families of what it means for true marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, what it means for submission and all the rest. When the church looks at the, or the the world looks at the church, the body of Christ, What are they looking for? They're looking for people who walk in the truth because it is through their observation of us and our beliefs and how that transcends into our activities that they begin to recognize God's truth is being held up high. Oh, we need Bible-teaching, Bible-believing people throughout this nation to stand for the truth because this nation is desperate for churches of people who are called into fellowship with God, whose priority is to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, with all their might, with all their soul, everything about them. 
Because not only do they have depicted to them that Jesus Christ has been sent and that it's a true message, but they also have depicted to them the truth that God has declared. Are we willing to do, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to walk in that? Who's a member of the church? And all friends, I don't want to get all twisted up into membership. Some people have come and said, well, why do we, why do we have a local membership? That's, you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Well, I understand that. And, and technically, that's correct. We do it in our day and age because it's a protection of the body of Christ, and it's also an opportunity for the body of Christ to walk in integrity as well as under authority. And there's all kinds of different reasons for this. But ultimately, who is a member of the church? And we talk about church. We're talking about big church. We're talking about uh, the church of the living God. We're talking about the universal church. We're talking about believers. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. One new man. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul puts it so succinctly, one of his great messages uh, in, in the epistle of uh, Ephesians to the Ephesian believers, which is really a message to the church overall. In Ephesians 1.13, he says, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. Of promise. Who's a member of the church? Who's a member of the body of Christ? Who is in Christ? Who does Christ indwell? It is those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. You may not be a member, so to speak, of a local body of believers, but if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a member of the church. Amen. Our position in Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And then he says this, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you realize if you're a member of the body of Christ because you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Our position as believers is in Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies. Amazing. And as a result of that, we now get to experience him day by day by day. And we are becoming what God has already declared us to be. And one day, it'll be fulfilled. Praise God for that moment. Amen? (laughs) So what's our position? What, What is the church We're seated in the heavenlies. We're members of the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is to reflect the glory of God in the midst of the world so that people understand that the message of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolute and that we are the pillar and the foundation of the truth, God's truth. What are our privileges in Christ as the body of Christ or the church? Well, there's numerous And I just put several of these together. As believers, we're called into the body of Christ and our privileges. First of all, we have access to the Father. How do we have access to the Father? Is it because we're good enough? We just show up with a badge and say, hey, (laughs) let me in. Absolutely not. In Ephesians 2.18, he says, For through him, meaning Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. 
It is the Spirit of God that gives us access. It is the blood of Christ that has saved us, justified us, and now we get to walk with him in the midst of that justification. We've been made right with God. We've been seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And now as believers, as his children, as his family, as part of the body of Christ, the church, we walk with him day by day. And we have direct access to our Father through his Son. That's amazing. What a privilege. What a privilege. Well, we know one of the privileges we have, one of the, one of the understandings we have is that God is constantly working all things together for our good. He, he doesn't say that all things are good. How many of us have gone through difficult times that, that we wouldn't say they're good? But what we do have is the promise. We do have the privilege of understanding that our Father is working on our behalf in all things. In Romans 8, 28, I'm sure many of you know that well. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What a privilege. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. The very next verse in verse 29 of Romans 8, he says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Not only is the Lord working constantly in our lives to bring good out of all the things that we go through and we can trust him in that, but we also know that he's constantly working in order to conform us to his image as we yield to him, as we surrender to him and say yes to him. And as God begins to do a work in our lives, God is beginning to grow us and deepen us in our understanding of the spiritual realities and of what we've been called into, which is the body of Christ, the church, which is a personal relationship with the Lord himself. And it has privileges that are attached to it. He's our shepherd, Hebrews 13, 20. He's called the God of peace. And what did he do? He brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Or 1 Peter 2.25 says, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, what a privilege. What a privilege to say that the Lord is our shepherd. Our shepherd. We get to experience his strength. In Ephesians 3.16, Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers that the, that the Father would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In the inner man. <laughs> Do you realize that we've been called into the body of Christ? We've been called into the church. And as a result of our position in Christ, because of what Christ has done for us, because we're now members of the body of Christ, we're now members of his household, we are members of the church, that the Lord is able to strengthen us in the inner man through the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. Colossians 1.11, Paul writes it this way, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. How are we strengthened? (laughs) You don't do what I do, go to the gym once every year and do some, some exercises that you can't move for the next three days, you know? We're not talking about physical strength, we're talking about strength in Christ, we're talking about his strength in us and what God is able to do. You're going through something right now that you need strength, that you feel like you don't have the strength to go through? Welcome to the normal Christian life. Start learning to depend upon his strength rather than trying to show him how strong you are. Because I can guarantee you, 
after many, 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 many failures in my own life, I begin to realize it's not my strength. It's the Lord's. Well, the ex- we get to experience his love. We get to experience his love. 1 John 4, 7, 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. And then he makes this absolute emphatic statement, for God is what? Love. Wow. Do you realize we're not talking about some mushy-gushy nonsense? We're not talking about some romantic fantasy nonsense. That's what Hollywood wants to present. And unfortunately, we bought into this so drastically, it's pathetic. Do you realize the word love here is agape, and what that means is the direction of his will. It doesn't have much emotion involved in it at all. It has the idea that he chooses to do what's best for us all the time. All the time. In spite of what it costs him, and in spite of what we think. Praise God. It is speaking to the fact that God is perfect love and that God is always choosing in his own will to work for our benefit all the time. All the time. Praise God for that. Ephesians 3, again, verse 19, to know the love of Christ. And what do we know about the love of Christ? It surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As believers, the great privilege we have is experiencing God day by day, moment by moment, to know the Lord, to walk with him, to experience his unconditional, unmerited love for us. What a beautiful picture. And lastly, and it's not last, believe me, we get to experience his wisdom. Romans 6.27, Paul, in concluding perhaps the greatest epistle on the fullness of our salvation in the New Testament, says this, to the only wise God, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Wow. To the only wise God. God, monosophos, it literally means to the one and only one who has all wisdom. To the only one. (laughs) James, how many did you know? You knew I was going to James, right? When we talk about wisdom, you got to go to James, don't you? James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, hello. I love how James puts that. If any of you lacks wisdom. You know, the if there is hilarious. It's Do you realize that you don't have wisdom? Don't you understand yet that you need God's wisdom? That you don't got it? But you can have it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Folks, the privileges that we have as believers, the unmerited favor upon us, God's grace towards us, not only positionally, but experientially, to walk with him moment by moment, to enjoy that which God has accomplished for us, and to walk day by day by his grace, experiencing the privileges as his children, the body of Christ, the church. But lastly, what about the priority? What about the priority? To know the Lord, the experiencing of the Lord. Let me give you a different 
avenues to this. John 17, 3, the Lord is in prayer for the disciples. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, what is he talking about there? That word know, there's two different words, right? That word know means to experience. He's not talking about somebody who's an unbeliever becoming a believer. He's talking about believers growing in their experience of who God truly is. What he's able to do. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Wow. What's our priority? It's to know the Lord. It's to experience him in every moment of every day to recognize the truth of the reality of what he's declared about us, what our identity in him is, now to walk with him experientially based on his grace, based on his strength, based on his wisdom, based on his love, and all the different aspects of who he is, his character. He lives in us. We're part of the body of Christ because we've been joined together with him. In John 17, verses 16 through 17, he also makes this statement. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then he says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What does sanctify mean? It means to be set apart, to be made holy. Well, wait a minute, I thought I already was made holy. Well, positionally, I've been declared holy. But now, experientially, I get to walk in that. And I get to grow in that. And I get to become what God has already declared me to be. So I get to learn more of this Lord that I've entered into a personal relationship with. I get to learn more of what it means to be a child of the King. What it means to walk in holiness and his righteousness, empowered by him, indwelt by him, strengthened by him. What does that look like? Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart from the world. Your word is truth. The word of God is essential. We are the church. When people look at us, when unbelievers look at us, they ought to recognize that the reality of Jesus Christ is absolutely true for every person on this earth. And they also ought to see the truth of God lifted high and supported, not just in what we say, but in how we act in our lives. And they ought to be able to point to the body of Christ, believers, the church, whether a local group or whether the universal group, and they ought to be able to say, God's truth must be true because we see it taking place in believers. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. But our highest priority is to love the Lord. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, you know this well writing to the church of Ephesus, where one of the themes of the letter, the epistle to the Ephesian believers was loving God and loving one another. No question about it. And the Lord tells John to write a message to this church, and he says, I know your deeds, your toil, perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Wow. Awesome. Right? I mean, wouldn't we want that set of Hoffmantown Church, the body of believers here? We test. We make sure we get into the word. We don't deal with falseness. We deal with truth. We have perseverance. We're long-suffering. We're doing the good things that God has for us. Amen. But what does he say in verse 4? But I have 
this against you, lest you get proud, lest you think you've arrived, that you have left your first love. Wow. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. He says, the Ephesian believers were so busy maintaining their separation that they were neglecting adoration. Labor is no substitute for love. It is only as we love Christ fervently that we can serve him faithfully. Our love for him must be pure. Amen. Did you catch it? Whatever we're doing that we think is for God, if the Lord is in our priority and if our love for him, if the direction of our will in all the details of our lives is in him, then what's the activity for? Because if we're truly loving him, if we're choosing to have him first in every area of our lives, guess what? Our activity will reflect him. Let me give you in closing just a few things. How do we know that we have left our first love? What are some warning signs, perhaps, that we have? Well, first, I would suggest when our work becomes more important than our walk with the Lord. We're more interested in the work. It's ours. It's my ministry. Oh, man. That's like flags. That's fireworks going off, folks. When we begin to think of it as ours, that we have ownership of something, that ought to be a massive flag to us that we've probably left our first love. Why? Because it's not ours. It's the Lord's. Secondly, when the word and prayer become duties rather than privileges. Have you ever been there? I have. I have. When studying becomes a duty. Oh, I've got to get ready. Oh, man. I've got to pray. Lord, I feel guilty that I'm not praying. (laughs) Wow. Now, don't look at me like that. Y'all do the same exact thing. And you know it. We've all been there. Thank God for his grace. But it may be a flag to us when the word and prayer are duties rather than privileges. Or what about this, when we're more worried about what others think than what our Lord thinks? God's calling you to something. You know it. You sense it. And all of a sudden, (laughs) what everybody else thinks drowns out what the Lord is wanting you to do, what he's calling you to. Oh, have you left your first love? What about this, when we become so worried about making an impact on our culture that we become just like our culture, resulting in the loss of our impact in culture? I know, I know. Let me read it again. When we become so worried about making an impact on our culture that we become just like our culture, resulting in the loss of our impact in culture. Maybe we've left our first love because our focus is on us and our performance, what we're doing for God that's supposed to bear fruit rather than loving the Lord and trusting him to do what only he can do, which is to bear fruit. And lastly, when we're more motivated by our own glory than bringing glory to the Lord. When we're motivated by our own glory 
them bringing glory to the Lord. Have we left our first love? We're the church. We're the body of believers that are in Christ. We get to walk positionally in that truth. We get to walk experientially with privileges in that truth. And our priority is absolutely to love the Lord our God. Where are we in our walk with him? What's God doing in our lives? We're the church. People who don't know the Lord ought to be able to look at us the way we love our Lord and love one another, and they ought to recognize Jesus Christ truly was sent in order to transform and to save, and they ought to recognize the truth of God. Is that taking place in and through us? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.